your focus is starting with you and then your relationships and then your vocation and then you truly become limitless. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm Terry Lepofsky and a big thank you for joining us again. This week's episode, we're talking about being limitless with an amazing guest who has an amazing story. Joining us all the way from San Francisco, California, Mr. David Conley. Hi, Terry. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start things off. I'm going to ask you our first question here. What leader has inspired you and why, David? You know, I had a lot of different leaders that I worked with when I first started my career. And I will never forget one of my very first bosses. Actually, my boss's boss's boss. And uh, so senior, senior executive. He ran the organization every week, what he called the gong show. Oh. And this was Clay Scipioni, and he was an old IBMer. He brought all of the major players, both on the business side and on the technology side together. And I was on the technology side. I was a project manager, and I was bringing like project plans and rest of it to it. He would bring everyone together in this gruff Texas accent. What's going on, Conley? I was shaking most of the time and I would give my update and then inevitably the business side would come up with something that they would surprise me with or I didn't have an answer to or something I wasn't crazily prepared for. And Clay in his own way would rip me a new one. And it wasn't mean, it wasn't personal, it was that gruff fatherly, like, this has got to be better. We are here to serve, we have a lot of work to do, and you know, you got to make sure this thing is going out. Right, yeah, giving you that little push, right? Well, it was more than a little push. It was kind of throw you down a flight of stairs, pick you up, dust you off. The best part is after this meeting, he would pull you aside and he would take you into his office. And it had this big office overlooking the campus. He'd say, look, he'd always call me son. Son, it wasn't personal. There was nothing personal about this. I love you. I think you're doing a great job. This is really just about business. And this is something that we need to do in order to make sure that we're delivering best for the company. And that's what I'm looking out for. I'm looking out for our shareholders. I'm looking out for the stock. I'm looking out for the products. But most importantly, I'm looking out for you. And I took that through my entire career, which was, yes, you have all of these responsibility, but mostly I had a responsibility for my folks and my people. And regardless of how it might play out in any kind of theater or any kind of status or any kind of whatever it was, it was always about people. So he instilled the responsibility of leadership. Without a doubt. And it was my first job, you know, my first like corporate job. And so I was really paying attention to what leadership was all about. And that was the beginning. And it was absolutely terrifying. And it was absolutely perfect. He was the right boss's boss's boss at the right time. It was brilliant. Ex-IBMer ran huge organizations for IBM, come into a relatively small company, was running the show. He really saw the organization as sort of drunk and disorderly. And so he was riding it like a bicycle. But what he was really doing was getting us used to, rather than kind of a cowboy way of doing things, you know, ironically, he's from Texas, rather than cowboy, he wanted just some structure and some process and some repeatability and all of the things that good companies will go through in order to go from a very imaginative, innovative place to a place where imagination and innovation was repeatable. First time I ever heard your story, I started to think about just how high the bar has been set for so many people out there who are in leadership capacity and leadership roles. And I started to wonder if we're not forgetting about ourselves in this relentless pursuit 
pursuit of success. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit to you something here. I was once one of these guys that was working the 14 to 16 hour days, absolutely bent, striving, exceeding had to be the rule of the day for me. I was determined to show everybody what I could achieve. Mm. And fortunately for me, I had a wake up call one day when a good friend pulled me aside and helped me realize that Mm. my pace wasn't sustainable. And Mm -hmm. I was actually heading for quite a burnout Mm -hmm. and I had to make some drastic changes and learn how to work smarter and not harder. And I know that that realization saved me. But once I heard about what you went through, I can honestly say that my experiences are not in the same league as what you've gone through. Mm. So just a few years back, you were working as a technology executive for the government, and then your life changed quite substantially. So I'm wondering if you could paint a picture for us, help our listeners appreciate where you were just six or seven years ago, what happened, and how this fundamentally changed your life. Mm. If you will, take that light and shine some of that light on our topic of being limitless and talk to us a little bit about how you're helping others to increase the quality of their lives. At this time that you're referring to, my wife, Carol, she was on the couch sick. And I'd just gotten back from a job that I hated as a technology executive. And I had really two things that gave me joy. It was my beautiful wife and eating. But I was 330 pounds and I was absolutely miserable. You were 330 pounds. 330. And now everything was wrong in my world. I was fighting my weight. I had this terrible job. I had a sick wife. She was really bad. So I called a nurse and she said, Carol might be having a heart attack. Get her to the hospital right now. My goodness. But the doctor said she wasn't having a heart attack, but since she was having trouble breathing, they put a tube in her lungs to help them drain. So that night, I fell asleep beside her. And suddenly, I woke to alarms blaring and people rushing her gurney down the hallway, and she'd had a stroke. And, and 60 hours later, I had to turn off the life support. Oh, my goodness. And my world stopped. The light in my life had gone out. It's like I died with her. I couldn't work, I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't function. The smallest efforts, just taking a shower, getting dressed, it was like wearing a heavy black coat. All I wanted to do was the pain to stop. I was just in the middle of this deep, dark depression. Right. A friend of mine came by, my friend Joe, he'd just gotten his pilot's license. He sort of like picked me up off the floor and I said, look, I'm getting you out of here. And I was just, I followed along. I said, absolutely, you know, absolutely get me out of this house. Yeah. And we go up and we're just outside of Washington, D.C. And a brilliant, beautiful day in the spring. And you can see all the way to West Virginia. We're fooling around. He just looks at me and says, you know what they do when they teach you to fly? The one thing that they do, that they drill it over and over again every time you go up for a lesson. And he looks at me and he says, The one thing they teach you to do when you are certain that your plane is going to crash, you are certain you are going to die. The one thing that they teach you to do is to let go of the stick because a plane is meant to fly. And that became a bit of a metaphor, particularly for that time in my life, because I really had no control. I couldn't work. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat, but I could drink some water. And there was a lot of days I couldn't even do that. But then I started eating a little and moving a little and every day got a little bit bigger and stronger. And I was fighting for not just my life, but fighting for a life worth living. So slowly things began to shift. I was able to eat and move a little bit more. And I got better enough. Even though I was offered my old job back, I ended up quitting, starting my own business. And by choosing to love myself, I lost 150 pounds. 100, you lost the equivalent of a person. I lost a human being. Wow. 
like you and your wake up call, you know, I, I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through in order to get where they want to be. Because if you're where I was, the answer is really already inside you. You know, you can do this. I chose love. I chose to love my future self. And most importantly, I chose to love myself as much as I loved Carol. And so these were my limiting beliefs. I was an important technology executive with a cool title, and that didn't help. It was my friends and my family that got me back up and running like Joe and his plane. You know, money was the goal. Turns out living's the goal. Do amazing work and the money there. Now I'm a health and wellness coach. I free lifelong overweight people from obesity. The people I work with have to lose that one third or one half of their body weight. Yeah. And those people, they start with the limited beliefs of I can't, I won't, and I don't. And the truth is you can, you will, and you do. And for me, it was about flipping my model. It was about radical self-care. That happens for my clients. It happens for them over and over and over again. Once you start paying attention to yourself, then anything becomes truly possible. If you think about it in concentric circles, at the very, very center, there's yourself. And that's your spiritual beliefs, your mind practice, your body practice, you know, who you are, how you take care of yourself. Your identity, yeah. Yes, exactly. Then outside of that, probably your major relationships, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your whoever, your friend, your major relationships. And then outside of that, your vocation, what you do for a living. And outside of that, probably community. I was stuck way out in vocation circle. And that's what I did. And I was not happy with it, but that's what I'd always done. I wasn't anywhere near the self, right? I was eating, I was drinking, I was all over the map. And I was forced into a situation where I had to pay attention to myself because it was life or death. Once I started focusing on myself, I lost 150 pounds, but then amazing things started happening. I knew I was a really good technology executive, but just because I was good at what I did didn't mean that's what I should be doing. That was a big realization for me. And then because I was also taking care of myself, I was able to start looking at relationships again. And after 13 years of marriage, you know, it's the first time I dated, certainly in the 21st century. So actually even thinking and conceiving of that and working through that grief was really important. And that really, again, happened at the center. It happened through drinking a little water, or in this case, probably a lot of water. I'm sitting here staring at a big liter of water right now. It's about eating right. It's about moving a little. It's exercise. And for me, certainly a strong mindfulness and meditative practice. And those things really act as a foundation because it's really super easy to sit on the couch with a, a pint of ice cream and a glass of wine and you get stuck there or you get stuck there watching TV. And that's, you know, your self-soothing and your ability to kind of detach and unwind. But if you're paying attention to yourself first, then those things, yes, those can happen, but it's not your focus anymore. Your focus is starting with you and then your relationships and then your vocation and then you truly become limitless. One time I had four offices all over the planet. I had a quarter of a billion dollar budget. I had hundreds of people working for me. None of those things helped. When it got down to it, when I really needed it, none of that mattered. It wasn't there for me when I needed it most. What was there for me was friends and family. And now what's there for me is true resilience. I can take a hit. I can also celebrate wins so much more differently than where I was six years ago. I mean, my life is so much richer. I believe I can do anything I put my mind to. Certainly, if I put my whole heart and soul into something. 
how are you helping other people that come to you and they're broken and they're wishing that they were in a different place? Mm-hmm. How do you start off with that and, and where does it go? People find me word of mouth. You got to work with Dave. We are either that person or we know somebody who needs to lose a lot of weight right? and somebody that they've struggled all of their lives. And we all get there very similar ways. It's that can't, won't, and don't. It starts often very, very early. It starts with something that you either can't control or something that you're looking to soothe yourself with. There are a number of different ways that you get there. What are the things that you can control? Things like food. For me, that's what it was. Right. I had a very out of control upbringing. There, there wasn't a lot of stability. I didn't feel really safe in a lot of ways. And I grew up in a nice middle class family. Every family has its issues. And for me, food was a source of control and comfort. That's where it started a lifelong of poor eating choices and not really paying attention to myself or my body, paying attention to other people and taking care of other people, not taking care of myself. Right. It's the selfish with the lowercase s. That was the path for me. I've had clients where they've had tough relationships with a parent looking for different body image. I've had clients where they've been in a very food scarcity mode growing up. So I work with a lot of executives because I was an executive and I've lost a lot of weight. That kind of puts me in the rarefied air of being able to help executives and being able to help executives lose weight because, you know, when it gets down to it, if you don't look the part, you'll never be the part. You might be an executive, but you'll never be a senior executive. I can't tell you how many dumb, tall, blonde, good-looking guys I've worked for. You know, I just like, and you just wonder, how did they get this job? (laughs) When there's so many brilliant people out there that maybe people are not taking them seriously because of their physical appearance. For me in my career, I truly had to fight for every single promotion. I had to be the smartest. I had to be the best. I had to outshine my peers by leaps and bounds in order to fight for it because I had a lot of unconscious and conscious bias against me. My clients talk about being invisible, and that is a part of being so overweight. You want to be invisible, and it turns out you are invisible. A client of mine recently walked into a large department store uh, with a couple of her girlfriends. She needed a pair of pants. The salesperson came over to her friends and said, do you need any help? They both pointed at my client and said, no, no, she's looking for a pair of pants. And the salesperson started talking to them about her in front of her. I would often, I mean, not just like once or twice, it would be often. I would be stopped by one of my peers or my boss or, or someone and say, hey, so what do you think about that last meeting we're in? Are you all, you know, something, right? They would be checking in on me on the last meeting that we'd all attended. And I said, what meeting? He said, well, the meeting. I had no idea what they're talking about because they forgot to invite me. Yeah. It happened all the time. So let me tell you a story about one of my clients, senior executive in Canada. I had the pleasure of going up and meeting her in person. And it was such a joy to be in your lovely country. I started working with her, had a a big organization. She does a lot of flying and she had what I experienced as an executive doing a lot of flying. It's among the worst experiences in the world, flying. Started working with her and it starts really as simply as ensuring that she's getting enough water. We lead that into paying attention to what she is eating. And then we worked into ensuring that she was eating the right food. Certainly as somebody who's been overweight and people who've been lifelong overweight, you know what to do. It's all inside you. You've tried every diet, every pill, every plan, every scheme out there. So you've done it before. It's just, it hasn't stuck and you end up putting on even more weight than before. We work on habits, not so much as, you know, what to eat because you already know what to eat. And so the habits start with paying attention to what you're drinking 
paying attention to the food you're eating and then paying attention to the right food. Over the course of four months, we also did things like track her sleep, certainly track her weight. And she started losing a lot of weight mm -hmm. in a very healthy way. Two, three months ago, I mentioned to my client, I said, hey, by the way, every time you stall on your weight loss, did you notice your sleep log? And she looked at her sleep log and she looked at that and she looked at her sleep log and she looked at that. And she also looked at her travel and she looked at her travel, she looked at her sleep log, and then she thought back to what was going on at work. So every time that her weight stalled were times where she wasn't sleeping well because work was incredibly stressful and when she was doing a lot of travel and her sleep again was disrupted. I didn't have to say anything. She's like, oh my God, my job is killing me. So she quit. She handed in her resignation two weeks ago. You're kidding. She quit. And this is a job she loves. Yeah. Absolutely loves. She gets to this large nonprofit, helps people all over the planet, loves her job. And she's like, this job is not supporting my health and well-being. And that's what's most important because once you start paying attention to yourself, you can be fully realized for your vocation and for the relationships that you want in the world. Yeah. And she's so excited. She doesn't know what she's going to be doing next, but she's not worried about it. She's got a little savings and she's like, I know the direction I'm going in. That's the important part. And that's what happened with me and Joe up in that plane. Once I realized that you just kind of let go of the stick, you realize that in reality, you have very little control. If I was looking back five, six years, if I was looking back three months ago, for goodness sake, yeah. and said, I'm going to be right here right now talking to you sitting in San Francisco, I would have called myself crazy. I didn't know then what I know now. I just pointed my life in a general direction. I let go of the stick and my plane or my life was meant to fly. And so here I am. So stop that illusion of control. When for her, it was like, well, I'm a talented, great executive. I love what I'm doing, but I love myself much more than I did six months ago. So I want to make those changes. And she's flying. Putting herself back in the center of those concentric circles. Exactly. That is brilliant. It's bringing back the confidence you have lost, or maybe a confidence that's never really been fully realized. Mm -hmm. If you think about how long that you've been doing what you've been doing, like I was an executive for a long time and I worked in the corporate world for a long time. I've been years of clear evidence that I know what I'm doing and that I can get paid for it. Right. And so there's no reason why I can't be limitless and actually take risks and make choices in order to do something differently. A lot of my clients come to me and say, I can't lose the weight. I can't make these changes because of my kids. Right. That comes up over and over again. And so let's reframe that a little bit. Let's think about this. So do you want to be there for your kids and see uh, who they get married? And yes, of course. Would you like to have grandbabies and see them and play with them on the floor? I said, yes. Would you like a real shot at seeing your great grandbabies? And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. I got into my 40s, early 40s. I had a moment with my doctor who kind of pulled me aside and he said, look, there's three things that basically get us all. It's cancer, heart disease, and a stroke. Those are the three things. Yeah. He said, it's not crazy for one of those three to happen in your 40s. It happens. The difference between you and everyone else is that if you're in your 40s, early 50s, you'll recover. You, if it doesn't kill you, you will never recover 100%. And I'm like, oh, that is a tough thing to hear from a doctor. Wow. And the reality of it is that you've made a cage of your own making, but the door is wide open. Just ask. Ask the people that love you. You've worked with lots of people. Mm. When you see somebody who has dropped the pounds, gained some self-esteem, reset that compass needle, they're on track. How does it make you feel? 
I can't help myself. I love it when people get their wins. I love it when people make those changes. And one of those ways I do that is very, very early on when I start working with someone. Journaling is a piece of what I do with my folks. Mm -hmm. I ask that you and your listeners actually take this as a journal and do this. I celebrate by. I'm writing it down as we speak. 100% of my clients have all come back with, I celebrate with cake. I celebrate with wine. I celebrate with food. We have a party. So much of our world is tied to food, celebrating with food. And I'm not saying this is wrong. I love celebrating with food. Food and a celebration is meant to be celebrated. Can't say I've been eating all my life. Now I'm done. Yet for people who need to lose a lot of weight, food controls you. You don't have control over food. This journaling exercise very, very early on will be I celebrate by. Always comes back as, as food, 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 food. Very, very little else. And then two, three months later, I bring it back. The bit has been flipped yeah. when they come back with, you know, I celebrate by going out with my friends or I celebrate with a party or I celebrate by going on hikes or, you know, doing something else. Food might be in there for sure. I mean, you can't get away from it. You, every single success story really begins with, I celebrate some other way than cake or that's the beginning. Yeah. And every single time you will see me have a happy dance. <laughs> that is me celebrating the outcome for someone having real respect for the process because it worked. I was dying to ask you that because one of the things that really strikes me about you, David, is that you care. You have a vested interest in helping people. You get deeply into what it is that you're doing in the way that you're helping other people. This is really related to a lot of the challenges that, at least in the context that we're speaking of here, that a lot of mm -hmm. leaders are facing. Yeah. But we still have another question that I'm dying to ask you. Mm -hmm. What does inspired leadership mean to you? There's so many leaders that inspire me, inspire me today, but I want to bring something forward from my corporate world. She never went over the numbers. In fact, she'd say, look, the numbers are on the internal website. You can check them anytime. That wasn't what was important to her. Instead of a sales update, what she did was bring forward examples of how people of the company were living the corporate ideals, who we are as a company, how we show ourselves to each other and how well we work with each other, how much we inspire each other. And she would highlight story after story of what had happened in the last quarter. You came out of that so inspired because you knew that it wasn't just like a laundry list of goals and corporate values. It was like, how are we living our values and how are we doing it every day? Because if we are truly living these values, it drops right to the bottom line. Uh, so pay attention to the real stuff. Pay attention to people. That's what changed my career. When was the best time of your career? And I said, it was those early days. It was the early days in AOL. It's like there was no rules, printing money and changing everybody's lives. And, and then she asked me the one question, the one question that changed everything and totally reframed me was why really put me back in my seat. It's like, why? It was because when we did something great, we knew about it immediately. People would be all online saying, hey, this was amazing. We love this. You know, we'd get all this great press and the stock would go up. So we knew immediately when we did something right. Uh, we did something really wrong. We were on the front page of every paper on the planet. Yeah. 
it was then that I realized that I was happiest when I was directly affecting people's lives and was making a difference directly. And as I got more and more promoted, as I became a director and then an executive and a senior executive, I got further and further away from people. I, I mean, I still had my folks, right? But I, I got further and further away from making a difference for people. I was so far away, I got more and more miserable. And so that was the point where it made it really easy for me to say, okay, I'm quitting this job. And so at that point, I was like, boom, I'm done. And now I work individually, one-on-one with people, and I couldn't get any closer and I couldn't be any happier. David, I want to thank you for joining us on this show and for helping all of us to move a little bit closer to that ideal of becoming limitless. If people want to connect with you, how can they find you? They can find me at Limitless. The website is Limitless. There's no .com. There's no .org. So it's Limit, L-I-M-I-T-L-E-S. And uh, you can just drop me an email at Dave at Limitless or uh, on the website. There's a contact me form. I've loved having you on the show, sharing your experience and some of the things that you've gone through. Mm. It's just blown my mind and what you're doing to help other people. I think it's really kind of restored a lot of my belief in people. So I'm really glad that you've taken the time to be here with all of us. And I also want to give a quick shout out to all of the listeners who have taken a few seconds to leave us those great comments and ratings on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. That feedback is incredible. It helps us raise our awareness for our audience, and it helps us to attract great leaders like David Conley. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Take care, and we'll talk to you all again next time. Bye for now. 